You don't even have to know by the weather. Like in, in uh, Woodbury or in Minnesota in general, the weather is not necessarily a good indication of whether or not the seasons have changed, but you can tell by the amount of people in the room. All our kids are gone. We've got a bunch of other people doing Fourth of July stuff, so uh, we are grateful that you decided to join us. And I know we have a few people that drove all night just to be here, and I'm, really, I'm just really happy for that. Um, well, I wanted to start off by talking. I got a confession, actually. Um, I have sinned once... And that was it. I didn't like it very much, and I've decided not to do it ever again. Because it, it made me feel kind of bad, but that was it. Just that one sin, and other than that, my life has been pretty sin-free. It's been pretty good. I mean, there's been a couple times where I've been tempted, once or twice. But other than that one sin, it's really not been bad. Um, I don't know if any of you can relate to that, but it's, it's pretty good being a Christian. You just don't sin. It's wonderful. And you don't even really want to sin, right? Once you get baptized, you kind of come out of those waters and you're like, oh, man, I, do just, I just simply do not want to do anything I shouldn't do anymore. This is great. Now, I know most of you are like, mm, that does not sound like my experience. And I hope that that's true because it's certainly not my experience. I could probably confess that I've sinned sometime today if I really stop and think about I did something. Maybe uh, thinking about something, doing something I shouldn't, saying something I shouldn't have said. I mean, we've all got that. And it's probably a little bit of an understatement to say, especially if you've grown up into the, in the church, but Christians, and really probably broadly speaking, humanity has a troubled relationship with sin. And I mean, what I mean by that is, not that like we, we don't know what sin is and we don't know what we should do and we don't know what we shouldn't do and we don't have all that, but we don't do it. Like we don't do the things we should do. And, and, and if that's just me, that's fine, but it's kind of where I am. Like here are the things I know I should do, things I should say, things I should think, and, and, think, and then here are the things that I actually kind of do and think and say. And even sin, even saying that word, like just the word itself is a little troubling. Like, I don't know if you've ever just thought that way. Like, like when you're talking about the stuff that you know you shouldn't do, you don't think of it as sin. That seems so, like, Victorian, puritanical sin. That's old school sin. Ugh, I don't like that, that, that word. I, I made a mistake. I had an error of judgment, but sin, come on. In the book of Romans chapter 6, verse 11 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. Romans chapter 6, verse 11, uh, Paul writes, In the same way, and we'll explore this a little bit, but in the same way, um, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Sin. Let's just let that hang out there for a second. Sin. Now, I think what happens when we see a word like that, we either are dismissive or we immediately start thinking about some stuff in our lives. Like, hmm, what falls in that category for me? Um, on Monday nights, we have this Bible study with our upperclassmen, our juniors and seniors, and sometimes a few college stragglers that are back for the summer. And we go to like a different coffee shop uh, trying to just explore new things, and we have like a Bible study. And so this last Monday night, I wanted to talk about sin. And we're in this really fancy, nice coffee shop, very modern, very cool, and there's all kinds of fancy, cool people around us, you know, and we're at a table, and they're all on their Apple products, and they're all looking busy and important and cool and fashionable, and I'm sitting there at this table, and, and one of the kids was like, so what are we going to talk about tonight? And this is literally what I did. I said, so tonight, tonight, and I looked around the room. I said, tonight, we're going to talk about sin. Because I didn't want anybody to hear, because I was afraid that if they heard, they'd be like, sin, 
What, what is this that you speak of? This is such an old-fashioned concept. And some people would be like, ah, oh, sin, that's, so, that's a silly thing that churches talk about or Christians think about or just some fundamentalist Christians think about, but not us. We're enlightened. Sin is an old-fashioned way of thinking. And just even the word either it causes one of two responses in us, and I think we either feel like maybe a little bit of guilt or we feel a little bit of defensiveness. Defensiveness, sin. What is this deal? What is, not what is it, or, but why do we have this struggle with this like, relationship with it and how we think about it? I give, if, give you two seconds, and you can think of something that you feel guilty about, and then two seconds more, you've justified why you shouldn't feel guilty about that thing. Uh, we're starting off a brand new series called You're Not Perfect, But You Are. And what we're going to do is we're going to explore uh, what the Bible talks about this phrase, this specific phrase in the Bible that is used to describe Christians, believers, disciples more than any other phrase in Scripture is this particular phrase. And it's this phrase that you see throughout the, the, uh, the epistles, throughout the writings of some of the, the New Testament authors. And it's this phrase, in Christ or in the Lord, or in Him. It's this phrase that describes our positional relationship with Jesus Christ, that we are in Him. And over and over, as people tried to figure out what it meant to live a life that was dedicated to Christ, they used this phrase, in Like, there's something unique and distinct and different. I mean, we describe following him. We describe a relationship as being with somebody. But this relationship with Christ is is in, in him. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look through, particularly in the book of Romans, a few different places that Paul used this phrase to describe what it meant to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. What it meant to be in him. And so Romans chapter 6 verse 11 is where we're going to start. And this is a familiar passage if you've grown up going to churches uh, like this, churches of Christ. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. In Christ. So we're going we're gonna to try to unwrap what this idea means, what it means to be in Christ. And we're going to explore this, at least this week, through this lens, not of sin per se, but of our, like our, our visceral response to what sin is and does and feels like and, and how it works in our lives. I wanted to share some real-life quotes from people. I've been asking people, like, when they think about how they cope with, uh, with mistakes, sin, with bad choices they've made, like, how do they think about those things? How do they think about, like, in retrospect, they did something they shouldn't have done, they said something they shouldn't have said, and how do they kind of, like, manage the aftermath of that? Not necessarily, like, like going to God and repenting. I'm not talking about, like, healthy ways of thinking through what we do and don't do. But how do they, how do, like, how do we naturally, as human beings, as Christians, as Christ followers, just kind of think about these choices that we've made that we probably shouldn't have made? And so this is, uh, this is a few responses, and I could relate to these, and I wanted to share them with you because I think that they're maybe a little bit more universal. Um, number one, every once in a while, I say a blanket prayer like, God, forgive me for everything I've ever done, you know, just in case, just in case. Does anybody, I've done that many times. Every once in a while, I'll just lay there and be like, I don't know if I forgot a sin somewhere, God, but just in case, could you, that sin that I've forgotten, would you forgive me for that sin? Just in case something happens. Start getting a headache like, oh, this could be it. This is the tumor I've been worried about. God, will you forgive me for everything that I've ever done? Another person said this when they think about the concept of sin. They said, I still feel guilty about stuff from when I was in the fifth grade. Anybody else relate to that? Yeah. 
You lay there, your mind's a little unoccupied, you've forgotten about everything, and you're just laying there, and you're like, ah, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Fifth grade. I like this one. I, uh, I dissect my guilt, and I assign blame to other people. <laughs> and that's, that, in, in, in all reality, that's a lot of what us, we do, don't we? Like, ah, this isn't really my problem. I sinned, but it wasn't really me. If you hadn't said, if you hadn't done, if you hadn't behaved, it's not really me. So, like, dissect it and kind of, like, parcel out the blame. Because blame is a too, too big of a, a weight for me to carry by myself. I like this one, and I have done this exactly. Sometimes when I feel guilty, I'll look at the calendar, I'll pick out a date, and I'll think, don't worry, you won't feel guilty by that date. (laughs) Have you ever done that? Some of you are like, nope. I have done that. I've like, you know, I probably won't feel as bad about this in a week. So this last one is really my favorite. (laughs) I just sleep it off. Sometimes you just got to take a nap and, and wake up feeling better about yourself, you know? Sometimes that's what you need to do. I just sleep it off. And I'm not saying these are all good, and sometimes they are. Sometimes you just need to take a nap. Sometimes you just need to think about, like, listen, the weight of what I've done feels heavy right now, but it won't always feel that way. And sometimes those, these things aren't bad. But I do think this reveals that we struggle with not just the choices we make, but ha- what happens after those choices, and then this cycle that we get into, like we make a bad choice, or we do something we shouldn't do, or we have a habit we shouldn't have, or a way of thinking we shouldn't think, and then we feel bad about that, and we try to resolve it, and we try to reconcile it, and we try to repent of it, and then we do it again. And eventually we've got to figure out, like, how do I either actually change my life so that I'm a better person, or how do I change my idea of what guilt and sin are so that I don't feel bad when I keep continuing to do these things, when I keep making these choices. I think all of these responses have one thing in common, and they're all ways of just trying to kind of manage sin, like manage our guilt, manage our blame, manage our consciences, and manage everything that we're going through, manage this, these feelings that we have that we don't know what to do with, but none of them really affect the cycle of, of sin and blame and guilt and repentance and sin and blame and guilt and repentance. None of them really deal with that. I think that there are probably two types of people in the world when it comes to eating out. Um, I've got a picture I want to show you here, and uh, I think you'll, you'll have, let's say you're out to eat, you're at the end of the meal, and this is what the table looks like. There is a population, probably in this room, that will look at that, and even though you're out to eat, and even though the restaurant, the establishment has hired people in order to clean that up, you still will gather up dishes, and you will scoop all the, 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 bat, the, the leftovers onto one plate, and you'll put all the forks and knives in one area. Some of you will do that. Some of you will clean your own tables at restaurants, and that's not a bad thing. That's fine. You think, oh man, I remember back when I was a server, and I hated cleaning up messy plates, and I even was with one person one time. They had a kid and you if you have a kid and you go out to eat like and you get done and you're just like there is more food on the floor than what you had on your plate like it was how did you do that i had someone i was with one time ask the wait staff for a broom so they could sweep up like like i'm gonna just sweep this up for you can you bring me a washcloth you know but you're out to eat like you pay so that somebody else will take care of this right now some of you see this and you're like i'm glad i'm not at home 
I'm glad that's not my deal. I'm glad I don't have to clean that up. And some of you just like, kind of like, some of you will feel guilt and some of you will feel a little bit of dismissiveness. The youth group's not here to, to uh, defend themselves, but sometimes when we're doing youth group stuff and we'll go stop somewhere like at a fast food place, get something to eat, we'll stop at one of those places that has two or three different fast food establishments so that they can pick what they want. You know, some of them want this, some of them want this other thing. But we all say, let's all eat at this one place. So the kids will go to other fast food places Not any of your kids. But the other kids will go to fast food places and they will bring their stuff to this place and then they will all leave all of their garbage at this place. And you're like, this isn't even this establishment's garbage. Like, you brought garbage in to leave it at this place. And I always feel guilty because I'm the other type and I'll go through and clean it all up. I probably should tell the kids to. But I go clean it all up, you know. feel bad about that. Because you're supposed to clean up, you know, your own stuff. But it's this idea of like there's, there, there's these two people who see this problem and they either figure out like I feel guilty about it or I feel dismissive about it. And I think like largely speaking that's how a lot of us feel about how we struggle with sin. We either struggle with guilt or we struggle with dismissiveness to a large degree. Those are extremes but those are I think the, the types of things that we have going on in our minds. So there's this group one. There's this group one that kind of has this, maybe, and maybe you can relate to this. I know that I certainly at times can, at times I can relate to both. There's this group one that has like this low level kind of constant guilt and the preacher can get up and they can talk about something that they don't even struggle with and they just start feeling guilty and getting a little bit sweaty. Their palms get sweaty. Like I just constantly feel a little bit guilty about life and about everything. And as soon as somebody starts talking about how to be a better dad or how to be a better mom, I just feel like, ooh, I'm not good enough or I'm not doing it or how to be a better Christian. And there's just this constant like low level sort of guilt undergirding their whole relationship with God. And it is my experience that many people who grew up in churches struggle with that. Have this just constant guilt. Like, like churches that have like the, the, uh, the uh, just as I am 12 times, you're just like, you have to hold yourself back because I probably did something I should go forward for. Just this constant guilt. And even if it doesn't have any specificity, even if it's just a generalized sort of underlying, undergirding guilt that, that just, you talk about God and they just start feeling guilty. I talked to somebody this week that just the you bring up church and it just makes them break out into a sweat. Somebody that doesn't go to church. And they don't want to go to church because it just makes them feel guilty. That's their experience largely with church. They're always worried about not doing something right. They're always worried that God is disappointed. And you've interacted with people like this. You've probably felt like that at times. These are the people that are sweeping up at the Applebee's, Right? feeling bad, wanting to make sure everything's okay, wanting to make sure God's not upset, wanting to make sure other people around them aren't upset at them. Every time some new standard or some new rule or some new understanding of how the God works, how the Bible is, they're just always like worried about, is that me? Did, is that me? Is that who I am? And then there's group two, and sometimes I'm this group too. And this group, like to an extreme, nothing phases them. It just doesn't matter. I could get up here and I could call him out by name and I could say, you did this and you are the man, kind of like with, with Nathaniel and, 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 uh, and David. You are the person that did this. And they'd be like, nah, wasn't me. I wasn't there. I mean, it's just kind of this dismissiveness that just, they don't feel the weight of sin or they don't feel the weight of their sin or they look at their lives, they look at the lives of the people around them and they're just like, nah, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a thing. It's not that big of a problem. And you've interacted uh, with people like this too. Maybe they've hurt you and you go up to them and you're like, listen, you, you hurt me and how do they apologize? I'm really sorry that you feel that way. 
That's your fault. That's your problem. It's not me. And I think that largely Christians struggle with one of these two extremes, guilt or defensiveness or, excuse me, dismissiveness when we think about our sin. Group one would say, you guys are just too fast and loose with this whole grace thing. I mean, yes, God has grace, but you got to fix your life. you got to get it right. God's looking at you. The judgment day, it's coming, and you're going to be in trouble unless you've done everything that you're supposed to do just right. you got to make sure that you are remorseful constantly. And every Sunday they take communion, and they're like, oh, forgive me for all the sins that I've forgotten to ask for forgiveness for. They're doing that blanket statement. Group two would say, man, you guys have too many hang-ups. You guys are just too burdened down by sin. Come on, relax. Just enjoy grace a little bit. Enjoy liberty a little bit. And that sounds good, but group one is over here saying like, oh, come on, that's, that's hippie garbage. Like, the Bible has some standards. We got to get right with God. And this group is saying over here like, come on, just relax. Think of liberty and grace and freedom. And this group is like, liberty and grace and freedom. Think about obedience and truth and righteousness and doing exactly what you need to do. And these groups can be at odds. Group one can say, listen, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, standing on a street corner preaching to the heathens. And group two would say, that's all nice and good, but you've got to remember verse 24, and all are justified freely by his grace. And these, these two different ways of thinking, and honestly, church, honestly, both of those are in most of us. Both of those are in most of us, depending on what's going on in our lives. Either this underlying sense of guilt that we're not right before God, God is probably constantly upset, or this just like, I'm, I just don't think about it too much. I don't think about what I do. I don't think about what other people do. I just don't put it in those categories. Those are so old-fashioned. I just don't think about that. And both have some elements of truth. God is truth, right? God is, God calls for obedience. God calls for holiness, right? But God also provides grace. And love. And so how do we reconcile these ideas in our minds? How do we as people who have, have, have grown up maybe with like a difficult relationship with God, how do, we like, how do we unravel that and get to a place that's healthy so that we're not constantly feeling guilty? Do you think God called you to feel guilty? Was that God's goal? I came to make them feel guilty. That's where some people are constantly for years and years. Do you think God called you just not to care about what you do and not care about how it affects people and leaving a path and trail of destruction in your wake? Neither of those are are the way that God is calling us. In fact, I would say, according to the passage that we're reading today, that they are both manifestations of the same problem. Both struggling with guilt and struggling with an inability to understand how sin affects us and other people are both manifestations of the same problem. And I would say, Paul would argue something like this. He would say, we need to understand that forgiveness came at a high cost. The forgiveness that we experience in Christ came at a high cost. And to minimize our sin or to minimize others minimizes that cost. It minimizes the fact that Jesus went to the cross and died for those sins. But that high cost was also to remove the consequence of those sins, the guilt of those sins. And when we just lather ourselves in guilt as if God looks down on us and say, well, they're not doing the right thing, but at least they feel guilty about it, as, as if that's a good thing, God doesn't want that for us either. God didn't call us to live in guilt. He didn't call us to live in dismissiveness. He didn't call us to live in guilt. And this is what I believe. I believe the struggle with guilt is often the inability to experience the forgiveness of the cross. The struggle with guilt 
is often the inability to experience the forgiveness of the cross. To actually understand that God has taken that away and nailed it to the cross for us. It is not dismissiveness to give God our guilt and our sin and our shame. Because that's what Christ came to do. It's not dismissive to do that. It's taking the cross seriously to live that way. I think the struggle with guilt is often the inability to experience the forgiveness of the cross. Can I say just a word about guilt? I don't know if this is true. I I mean, I grew up in the church. My impression is that more church-going people struggle with guilt than struggle with dismissiveness. I could be wrong about that, but that's my impression. That's where I am sometimes, just this kind of a struggle with guilt. Um, Let me me just real brief, a little commercial break. You know how sometimes uh, people that worry, they worry because they can't control something, so worry feels like they can have a little bit of exercise, a little bit of control over something they can't control? I think guilt works a little bit like that for us. I think sometimes we bear ourselves down with a burden of guilt because we can't control God forgiving us. We can't control that. And we feel like maybe if I weigh myself down with guilt, somehow that will compensate for my sin. You can't feel guilty enough to compensate for the the sin in in our lives. You just can't. That's just not the way it works. Guilt, and guilt doesn't guarantee a change of behavior either. Because those of you that experience guilt, no, you just, it just stays there. It doesn't guarantee that we get better and we do better next time. We just feel guilty, and we feel guilty when we do it the next time. Guilt was only ever meant to lead us to repentance and forgiveness. It wasn't meant to be a place we live and stay. It was never meant to be a substitute for, for forgiveness. Secondly, though, the struggle with a lack of remorse, and this is like if there's a... Uh, I don't know, a generational gap, I guess. Maybe sometimes people who are of one previous generation look at the next generation, and this happens again and again and again and again. It just never changes. They look, well, this generation, this upcoming generation, they just don't take God seriously. This is a church. They don't take sin seriously. They don't take God seriously. They're living in a way that doesn't like, they're just dismissive of God, and every generation kind of struggles with that, and sometimes that's true, and sometimes people grow up and figure that out. But I think a struggle with dismissiveness A struggle with a lack of remorse is often the inability to understand the cost of the cross. When we can look at sin in our lives, and we we can look at sin in other people's lives, not just mistakes, not just bad habits, not just bad choices, when we can look at things in people's lives and acknowledge, like, that's a sin. That That is not a moral thing to do. That is a sin. When we can look at that and we can just brush it off, eh, no big deal move on with my life, I'm not sure that we're understanding the cost of the cross to the degree that we should, to the degree that we understand what what Jesus has actually done for us. To to understand that Jesus died for those sins, but not so that we would remain burdened with guilt, so that that we'd be able to find forgiveness. George MacDonald is an an old author, wrote a lot of stuff, influenced a lot of authors that we read today, including people like C.S. Lewis, but he had a quote Um, If you go to the next slide, please. George MacDonald said this, Christ did not die so that we might go on living our own petty, selfish lives the way we want to live them. Oh, yeah, duh, George. We know that. But do we? Do we? Christ did not die so that we could go on living our own petty, selfish lives the way we want to live them. That's important. That's really important. 
Jesus died so that, didn't die so that we could do what we want guilt-free. That's not why he came to earth to die. He came to earth to change us, to take away that guilt and change us. So this is what Paul says about the issue. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. He says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. Count yourselves dead to sin. Because if I come to you and I'm like looking for the guilty people in the audience, hmm, who's got the guilty eyes? Nobody's making eye contact over here. Let's see, let's go over here. Everybody's like, not me, wasn't me. If I look at the guilty people in the audience and I'm like, you should feel guilty, you should feel terrible, and that doesn't help, right? It's like going to somebody who's depressed and saying, you shouldn't feel so sad. Oh, thank you, you've cured my depression. Oh, that's so wonderful. I just didn't think about that. Wonderful. You shouldn't feel so worried. My worries have lifted away like a fog on a summer morning. Thank you so much for telling me not to worry. Now all my problems are solved. Thank you for telling me not to feel guilty. I no longer feel guilty. Good job, Patrick. You spent all that time Sunday morning telling people, don't feel guilty, and now I don't feel guilty. Or if I looked at people who should feel guilty, right? Maybe there's a few of us too. You know what? You're doing some stuff. You should probably feel bad about that. Oh, nah, I'm fine. No, no, really. You've made some bad choices. You're doing some things in your life that are going to cause some, some destruction down the road, and you should feel bad about that. No, 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 I'm good. You can't just make people feel a certain way. And Paul seems to acknowledge that in this passage, Romans chapter 6, verse 11. He doesn't say, here's how you should feel. He says, here's what you should think. And I think that's interesting. He says, you should think this. Count yourselves. It's a math term. It's a given. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I've got one of those personalities for, for whatever reason. I am, like, I enjoy so those adrenaline-type activities, right? I have not bungee jumped or sky dove, skydived, sky, anyway. I've not done those things, but those are the types of things I'd like to do. Jumping off cliffs and those kind of adrenaline-type activities. That's the kind of personality that God has either blessed or cursed me with, right? So when you're a teenage boy, and I don't know how the biology works, but I have been told that there's these frontal lobes that are supposed to eventually shut, and in teenagers, there's, they're not shut, right? And they do things that they shouldn't do. And some of you are like, I'm well past my teenage years, and the, the frontal lobes are still trying to figure things out. But whatever it is, right? So I remember being on my, my uh, high school graduation trip. And we got to go to this place near the ocean. And we wanted to jump off these cliffs into the ocean. We didn't know anything about it. We didn't know where we were. We had never been here before. And we're, we're standing at the edge of this cliff. And we're looking down. And we're like, ooh, this would be fun. But there's a couple problems. And we have some wiser, mature teenagers in the group. They're like, but we don't know how deep that is. And I said, I'll find out. And do you know how I found out how deep it was? I jumped. I just jumped off. Now, I look back at myself now, and I'm like, what an idiot. Like, are you serious? Now, there's no brave. That's absolute, pure, complete stupidity. And parents, I know you don't like the words idiot and stupid, but that is exactly what I was doing. I could have killed myself. And I'm there floating in the water looking at everybody. Hey, it's good, guys. We're all right. You know, the only reason I'm here today is God was like, oh, I don't know. Because this guy does not have the brain stuff going on the way it should go on in order not to kill himself. So that's, that's my personality. But I'll tell you what. I remember the very first time, and maybe it was, my, and maybe it was biology. Maybe it was God closing the frontal lobe doors or however that works. But I remember standing on the precipice of something, getting ready to leap off it. And I was in my mid-twenties, and maybe those door, barn doors closed right then. But I remember thinking, you know what? I probably shouldn't do this. 
And that was the first time that thought had crossed my mind. I probably shouldn't do this. And I'm like looking around. I'm like, what's wrong with me? You never would have stopped yourself before. What's wrong? And what had happened was, is I had become a parent. And I remember thinking, like, right there on the edge of that thing, like, like getting ready to jump. And then I think, oh, yeah, I've got a daughter. Hmm. How will she be if I'm not around to take care of her? Hmm. Probably fine. No, not, I, didn't, I didn't think that. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. That's what was going through my brain. And that was the moment where it was like a, kind of a bigger picture sort of revealed itself, that my circumstances have changed. It wasn't because I was a better person or anything like that. It was just my circumstances had changed, and I had to take that into account. And that is what Paul is telling us in this passage. In the same way, you're about to leap off into that sin. Hold up one second. Count yourselves. Think about the circumstances that are different. He's not saying you're not going to sin. He's not, gonna sin. He's not saying you're not going to struggle with temptation. But count yourselves. And he says, this is what you got to take into account. Let's, let's sit down and write a list of pros and cons. Should I sin or not? Uh, hmm, pros, I would enjoy it. Hmm, pros, I would look cool. Pros, I would, whatever, right? Cons, hmm. And this is what Paul says. Here's what we write in that line. Well, high cost of forgiveness for sure. But I am dead to sin. I'm dead to sin. Doesn't mean that sin doesn't tempt me, affect me, doesn't think about me. But before I make a leap off that cliff, I think about what Paul says about who I am in Christ. It's different now. It's different now. Things have changed. And I think we're always going to struggle with guilt. And we're always going to struggle with lack of remorse if we weren't, aren't working with all the facts. And this is, what, this is the message that I want us to have, is that we aren't perfect but you are, like Paul says, you are dead to sin. And this follows on the heels of some beautiful words about baptism and, and Christ's death and what it means to partake in that. But this is what the conclusion he comes to. You are dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so I, I say we should do this. We should consider ourselves to be what God says that we are. Oh, genius, Patrick. Great. I, that sounds like a fortune cookie. But I mean that. We should consider ourselves to be what God says that we are. We are dead to sin. Oh, but my guilt, my, oh, I just feel terrible. But you're alive to Christ. You're alive to God in Christ. But I don't really care about some of that stuff, but you're dead to sin. This is a, this is a given. This is who you are now. Um, years ago, in one of our life groups, and, and I've told you guys this before, sometimes when I'm thinking about an illustration, somebody will say something, and I'll just like jot it down in a little note so I can use it years later. And, and uh, so years ago in a life group, years ago, uh, we were closing out in a word of prayer, and the, the, one of our deacons, uh, Bill Tatum, I, he's, I think he might be here somewhere, he left. Oh, there he is. Bill Tatum said something that I think is really valuable, and it, it just has stuck with me. It's one of those things that kind of replays on a loop over and over, and so you can go up and give Bill kudos uh, after this for, for what he said, but I thought this was so helpful to me. This is what he said. He says it was a prayer about how we interact with the world. And he said this, God, help us show people not what it means to be perfect, but what it means to be forgiven. Wow, that's good stuff, Bill. C.S. Lewis, George MacDonald, JFK, Bill Tatum. Show us not what it means to be perfect. Because isn't that our struggle with guilt? I'm not perfect. I'm messed up. I've got a problem. Not what it means to be perfect, but what it means to be forgiven. 
I think that if, if we as a church could take that seriously, if we, if we could find the secret to taking both sin and, and grace seriously at the same time, wow, wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that change our lives? Not to struggle with maybe long-term guilt, because maybe every once in a while you sit down and it gets quiet and the TV's not on and nobody's distracting you, you're not at work, and you think about something, an interaction that you had with somebody years ago. And there's that guilt kind of getting dredged back up. There's somebody whispering in your ear, you should feel bad about that. You should, that's a problem. Not if you've dealt with it. Not if Christ has taken it to the cross. But maybe there's things in your life that you should feel bad about. Maybe there's choices you've made that you shouldn't have made. Maybe there's things that you're engaged in doing right now that just show that you're not taking this, the, the, high for, the high cost of forgiveness seriously. Let us show the world what it looks like to not be perfect, but to be forgiven. We're going to go ahead and close out in a word of prayer, and then we're, uh, we're going to be dismissed for this morning. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for grace. Uh, we thank you for the, the way guilt moves us toward grace, God. And I pray for our church family. Lord, I know that there are so many Christians, including myself, that just constantly struggle with guilt. Lord, we, we constantly worry that maybe we don't measure up and maybe you're disappointed and maybe you're upset with us. But I pray that you would help us understand that you have once and for all shown your love for us through Christ on the cross and that you've taken away the consequences of those sins. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live lives that exemplify Christ. And Lord, when we do mess up and when we do feel guilty, I pray that you would move us quickly into grace and quickly into repentance and quickly into forgiveness so that we can live the type of life that you've called us to live. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for the forgiveness that we receive in him. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.